Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is Hosea, Love's Addiction, Part 2. Book of Hosea. Where we are, we started last time looking. We're going to be in chapters 1 and 3 here in a bit. And uh, looking at Love's Addiction. And God is addicted to sinners. And you better be glad that he is. We're going to be in chapter 3 to begin with. And then we're going to be branching out, backing, backing up I should say, into... Uh, chapter one, uh, there was a man arrested recently in Louisiana, got a, got a well, he's potentially going to get 20 years um, sent up the river, get this, for stealing $31 worth of candy. He stole $31 worth of chocolate candy bars, and his, his uh, sentence can be as much as 20 years. Now, you can think, well, why is that? It must have been gold-plated candy or something, I don't know. No, uh, come to find out, this guy is a habitual criminal. He's got a rap sheet tremendously long, except on that rap sheet there are no felonies. And Louisiana has a rule now, and I think Texas is moving this way, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but they're moving in a direction now where a certain number of misdemeanors, once you you go past a certain number of misdemeanors, criminally uh, stealing uh, misdemeanors, then then the next one starts adding as felonies. And so this, even though it was only 31 bucks worth of candy, it's a felony. And it's going to be judged as a felony. And like I said, he could be as much as 20 years sent up the river for, for a, so you imagine, so let's put ourselves in his shoes. So of all the things you get arrested for and you put in prison, so what are you in here for? Well, I stole $31 worth of chocolate bars. I mean, really, you need to do something bigger than that, I guess. But anyway, interesting uh, policy that they have over there because people think, well, as long as it's a misdemeanor, I can never go to jail for it. Well, they're finding ways around that. And and as we've seen in many cases, there is no real path to forgiveness for repeat offenders. And so I look at that and I think, you know, the guy's getting what he's got coming to him. I mean, you're going to steal and have a habit of stealing like that. Well, then they need to ramp it up. I, I, I agree with that policy. We do that, though, maybe, or maybe I do that to neglect of the fact that we forget that the legitimate repeat offenders in the world is us. All of us, in fact. I mean, when I talk about a rap sheet with regards to the guy stealing candy bars, what, about, what is your rap sheet like with God? You're are, you are a repeat offender. But unlike the state of Louisiana or possibly the state of Texas, there is, there is a path to forgiveness for habitual offenders. There really is. And uh, only with God do you find this. Only with a God who loves us so much. And probably one of the best illustrations uh, of where we all stand with God in, in, in this depiction of sin and love and forgiveness is given to us here in the book of Hosea. And how he deals with us. Last Sunday we were together, we began to study the book of Hosea. We saw that uh, he was called by God to marry a woman who was a known prostitute. He knew it going in. This is a lady of the night. I'm going to be marrying her. In fact, God told him to do this. Uh, in fact, God told him not only was he to marry her, but that he was not to do the logical thing. That she was not only a prostitute, a lady of the night, she was going to continue this adulterous type of relationship after they're married. He says, but you're not going to divorce her. You're not going to do two things. You're not going to divorce her, which would be the common thought. And you're not going to, according to the laws of the land, if you were an adulterer, you could have a person executed for adultery. You're not going to have her, that either. So the two things she's got coming to her, as far as anyone is concerned, is you're not going to meet out to her. He says, you're going to be doing this for the same reason of my relationship with Israel. It's the same way. Israel is an adulteress towards me. Spiritually adultery, she's been committing against me for years. And I could have had her put to death. 
Could have done it myself, obviously. I could have divorced her, but I'm not doing those things because I love her. As we saw last time, God's addiction, this addiction that he has, this, this, uh, this commitment he has to us. Hosea was to treat his wife in the same way that God had been treating the nation of Israel with unconditional love, with forgiveness, with relentless pursuit, even though he was not receiving the same back. He was still to pursue her in this same way. And again, this, this picture, this depiction of how God treated Israel and ultimately how he treats every last one of us habitual offenders. God keeps coming back. He keeps pursuing. He keeps forgiving. We saw, like I said, this, this addiction that God has, but there's a part, a part of us at least, and maybe it's just me, maybe not you, that thinks, you know, it's not that bad of an addiction. I mean, look what he's getting. I mean, I'm awesome. I mean, who wouldn't want me, right? I'm great. I mean, I, I got my problems, I got my proclivities, I got my failures and stuff, but, but most, we, we, we lie to ourselves. Most of the time, my relationship with him is a 50-50 deal, and he's, um, he's getting something out of it, you know, as, as if that were true, which of course it is not. We, we talk about God's forgiveness a lot, but we don't often talk, or maybe at all, talk about why he forgives. I think why is a very important question and, and will answer a lot of things, maybe bring us down off some pedestals that we've placed ourselves or placed humanity on the answer to the question why. A part of us thinks, like I said, that he forgives us because we're forgivable. I mean, of course he's going to forgive me. I'm, I'm awesome, right? Yeah, you're awesome, all right, uh, but not in the way you think. Uh, he, I, he forgives because I'm forgivable. Uh, mostly good. Sometimes I stray, but hey, it's mainly 50-50, and I occasionally fall off the sin wagon. But you know, God, that's what God's, uh, that's how good God is. Uh, the Bible is very clear on this issue, issue. The reason God forgives is not because we are forgivable. He finds the reason within himself. There is no forgivableness, not a shred not an ounce, not a piece, not a cell, not a thing about you. The Bible's very clear about this. That is forgivable. Get it out of your head. Get it out. That is not true. You've been lied to by a Western culture that says you're awesome. Your mama says you're awesome. Your teacher says you're, even though you were last place, you still get a ribbon, right? And then you wonder why they fire you when you get a job, when you get out of school, because you're, you're a loser, right? I mean, you, didn't, you weren't taught anything except to be a loser, and they gave you rewards, and you think the world should be that way. And, of course, you expect God to be that way. I can be this total reprobate of a person, but I'm, I, there's something that God's getting out of this whole relationship. There's no 50, 50, 40, 30. That's not a right number, right? 40, 40, 60, 40. Baptist preachers can't add, don't you know? How many people were in the service? I don't know, between 10 and 300. Because <laughs> you've got, you know, you've got, there were six people, but then you've got the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then how many angels does it take to populate, you know? So, you know, the numbers can, there's a flux in the numbers, you know, we can have Baptist preachers for you. There you go. As, as if God, as if we were forgivable, uh, no. God simply chooses. He, he loves not because we're lovable, because he finds the reason within himself. You know, some of you probably have in your house, and we live on the beach, you have a little poster, maybe a little plaque or a little something or a little card that talks about the footprints in the sand. You know, the whole, you know, we were walking and I look back over my life and I see sometimes there were two footprints where God and I were walking together. And then on the harder times of my life, there was only one set of footprints and there's sort of an accusation 
that God, where were you, God, when I was going through this dark time? Where were you? You familiar with that, right? I, I, let, me, let me just say, and you feel, I'm not trying to take, you off, take off your decorations in your house. I reject that theologically. Here's why. There's never two footprints in the sand. It's always 100% God carrying you. It's never anything else. There, there's a notion in there somehow that you're carrying part of this. You never have carried anything of this relationship. You bring nothing to the table. And if you think you do, you only taught that because of your culture. The Bible certainly doesn't prop that up in any way. So, and I'm not trying to tell you to take it down, but here's, 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 a, here's a verse to chew on. You need to keep in the back of your heads when you think you're lovable and think you're forgivable and think all that. Listen, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all of our, mark it carefully, righteous acts are as filthy rags. So... If that's the way God sees the stuff that you really think you're good at, what must he think of the stuff that you really, you agree with him is not good? All your righteousness is as filth, hold on, hello, somebody, give me on the screen, I'm seeing it but you're not, it looks really good, there it is, all of our righteous acts are as filthy rags? We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our, sw- our sins sweep us away. That's your real life. That's who you really are. That's who you really are. And I, we come to church for warm fuzzies. Listen, don't, you don't need warm fuzzies until you know the truth first. You need to know how far down you go so you can know what it means when you come up. So it's, it's a lie to tell you that we're anything other than this. It's a lie. It's not true. It's not true. You're not forgivable. You're not lovable. Sorry. You're just not. Although God is forgiving us and God does love us, but it's not, it's not for the sake of you. He doesn't find the reason. He's not searching through every cell of your body to find one thing that's good. No, he's done that. There's nothing. Nothing. Fact is, your relationship with God is very similar, if not identical, to the relationship of Hosea to his wife. Beautiful and at the same time um, sobering picture of how God treats us and how God relates to us. So Hosea, we saw last time, marries this prostitute, loves her. It's not just an act of, okay, God told me to do it. I'm going to go do it, and I'm going to be an obedient prophet, and that's what prophets do, and there's a part of that in there. But he actually loves this lady. He loves her, and he offers her a chance to clean up her life and to go another way. But, of course, she goes back to her old ways to the point to where two of the three kids born into his house are not even his. So she's living at home, running around. She's coming up with extra money. We don't know how. Yeah, he knows how. And then she's coming up with extra kids. They're not his. And not only to boot, as, as if we read the next two chapters, and we're going to read one of those in just a second, you find out that not only does he have, she have kids that are not his, but that she leaves them with him. She leaves them. They're, his, they're not her, his, but he's left to take care of these illegitimate kids. She leaves him. She runs off with her lovers, living off prostitute wages, living wherever, probably living pretty high, paying her big bucks. She's young, good-looking, making tons of money in the oldest profession in the world. He's left there with the kids. He's left there with a reputation. He's left there with his whole family saying, you big dummy, why did you marry her? And what can he say? God told me to do it. I mean, that's all he can say. And then, then this is years later. Kids are grown or mostly grown. He hears something has happened to her. Of course, this is years later. She has 
gone down in her youthful looks have diminished, and thus so has her income. If you understand, get my drift. She has gotten to the place where she's no longer living high and mighty. She's gotten to the place where she's having to do what happened to this culture pretty regularly. If you got into debt, you sell yourself. Now, obviously, she's been selling herself prostitution-wise, but she's been living in penthouses. But now she's going to sell herself 100% into slavery. And that's what happened. Let's say, for instance, like Mark here, uh, I, I'm in debt to Mark $100,000, which I'm not, Mark, right? I don't think. And if I am, I'm skipping town. But let's say I was, and I can't come up with a debt. Well, there, was, there is no way for me to declare bankruptcy. There is no way for me to get other things. In, in this culture, we have a welfare society uh, that's taken care of by the government. You were not that way back then. Back then, if I couldn't take care of my debts, I would offer to, he, had, he could choose to accept this or not. He could put me in debtor's prison. He could do lots of things. But I could offer to sell myself to Mark as a slave to pay off my debts. Now, I have professional degree. I have doctorate degrees. So he may be hiring or getting for free someone, in some cases, say if I'm an accountant, but I've gotten myself in a bad way and I owe you money. And now I come and I'm a slave to you. You get all your books done for free. And I cook, by the way, not very well. I fish. I can cook fish. I would sell myself. It was a very acceptable thing, a very common thing in the culture. When you got yourself in debt, and you think about how many people we're going to be talking about debt and finances and all that kind of stuff tonight. Uh, we're going to start talking about money on Sunday nights. Think about if every person here that was in debt beyond a certain degree was a slave. That's the way it was in that culture. If, if you were like more than $10,000 in debt, I don't want to see your hands. But if, and you lived in that culture, you would probably be a slave at least to a certain degree to someone. So, by the way, as, as, that sounds horrible, right? Slave. Who would want to do that? Listen, tell me your job isn't like that. Tell me why you're keeping that horrible job that you hate, that has horrible hours and has horrible pay. Would you keep it if you didn't have the debts that you had? So, so how, how are we that much different, you know, than they were back then, except in this case, I'm selling myself to a company or corporation or some, some business. In the other case, I'd be selling myself to Mark. I think I'd be better off with Mark. I know Mark. Mark's a great guy. He's going to be real kind to me, whereas the company I work for, not so much. So, so what's happened here is she's selling herself. She's reached the end of her usefulness for what she original profession was, and she is selling herself on an auction block. And so what happens is, is Hosea hears of it by God, and he goes down and buys her. Let's pick up the story, Hosea chapter 3. Consider what we see there. It says... Then the Lord said to me, go again, again. He's been faithful to her. All. He's not married, remarried. He's not divorced her. He's not had her executed. He could have easily had those things done. He's been raising her kids. They're pretty much grown, if not grown by this time. This is years, maybe decades later. And the Lord says, go again and love a woman who is loved. Notice, he loved her. He truly did. Who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel. So the relationship between Hosea and his wife is the same, God is saying, as my relationship with Israel. So don't miss that. Though they turn to their gods and love their raisin cakes, it says. And so he says, I bought her for myself. Look at the price. 15 shekels. Now, what do you think the bid started at? Half of that. 15 shekels is not much, y'all. It is not much. She probably started at four or five. How much 
has her debauchery done to her physically, emotionally, spiritually, she's in the pits. She's, by the way, they were all sold naked. So his wife, that he hasn't seen in years, is naked on an auction block, and he gets her. It, she bids out at 15 shekels plus a handful of grain, it says there, a homer and a half of barley. Then I said to her, and I want you to remember that number, by the way, because we're going to look at the reason for that in just a second. Then I said to her, you shall stay with me for many days. Huh. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man, so I will also be towards you. Isn't that interesting? He's not just buying her so he can gloat over her. He's buying her so he can be faithful to her, which is what he's already been. This is an amazing guy. Again, picture of God with Israel. Picture of God with us. For the sons of Israel, notice, will remain many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without effort or household idol. And afterwards, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord and their God and David their king. And they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. What an incredible picture that Hosea is giving here. But remember, he gets her for 15 shekels. Now, that's a very low price for a woman sold into slavery. That's, in fact, almost exactly half price. Consider Leviticus 27, verse 4. For a female, like I said, if, if you were a man or a woman and you got yourself in debt, you could sell yourself as a slave, but your price was set in the Bible. In the case of a female, her value was set at 30 shekels. Now, what does she sell for? 15, the bidding starts lower than that because they're not really sure. And he keeps bidding it up because that's his wife and God told him to buy her back. So she goes for 15 shekels. What was she like? Not good. It wasn't good. Not at all. So, so and, and, and by the way, also, maybe it's a coincidence. Maybe, maybe you're like me and don't think of coincidence in the Bible. What was, what was Jesus' price? I mean, Judas worked out a price with the Pharisees, and then they, they paid him a certain amount. And that's what they paid Judas to betray Jesus. What was the price? Do you remember? It was the same price. 30 shekels. Now, I want you to remember that because we're going to talk about that in, just a, in, in not a second. Because, you know, we're... we're we're a solid 45 minutes for the end of the sermon, so seat yourself very well. So, talk about determination to forgive, right? Hosea, God. Talk, talk about determination to love someone. Talk about someone who lost all the rights to all that stuff, for sure. Standing up naked, sold herself to how many men up until now, and now she's so uh, devalued that he can get out with 15 shekels. Oh, wow. This, listen to me carefully. You go to sleep after this, that's fine. This, guys, this woman, naked on auction block, is us. You know, I want to know what the Bible's real position on the center is. This is the Bible's position. This is the reality of who we are. The reality of who we are is not the ribbon you get by being last place. The world telling you that you're, you're awesome, all right. You're awesomely washed up. You're awesomely debauched because of sin. We have this purely self-conceived and world-conceived concept of what humanity is and what sin has done to us, and we sure have got to be taught down to it from it. Because I'm telling you, you will not understand the benefits you have in Christ until you know, okay, Christ redeemed me, okay, yay. From what? God forgave me. Why? See, unless you understand those questions, then, then what he's done for you means nothing. 
What's a valuation? So I, I have a million dollar bill, if there was such a thing, and hand it to a two-year-old, and then I have a handful of pennies, and the two-year-old picks the pennies over the million dollars because it's just a piece of paper, and this is real money, right? They have no concept. Same is true. You have no concept of actually what its value, what the valuation is, then how can you understand what the payment was? And so we stand to learn a few things, I would suggest a lot of things, about God's choosing us in the same way that Gomer was chosen by, by uh, Homer, by Homer, by Hosea, <laughs> by Hosea chose his wife, Gomer. We, we, we stand to learn a lot about his persistence and love to us, uh, what it cost him to forgive us. We stand to learn a lot through this story. And so I want us to hear carefully these three points that I'm going to present to you here briefly. Number one, God did not wait, listen, for us to clean up before he loved us. That's the picture of Hosea and his wife, Gomer. God did not wait for you to clean up. God, God didn't, Hosea didn't go down to the red light district and find a girl that he liked and say, listen, I'm going to give you three years to get your life in order. And then once you can prove that you have been out of this lifestyle for a certain period of time, then you and I are going to get married and it's going to be a great deal. No, he goes and gets a girl straight out of the red light district and marries her right then. He did not wait for her to clean up. The same God has done for us. God did not wait for us. He didn't come and say, listen, I need you to clean your life up. I got my son, Jesus. I'm going to sacrifice him, but I need some decent people to sacrifice him for. I need some, some worthy individuals, some forgivable, lovable people, right? Because this is my one and only son that I'm sacrificing here. Now, that's not what he did. That's not what he did. We saw this verse last time, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love toward us. Hosea demonstrated his own love toward Gomer, if you will, in that while she was a prostitute, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. No cleanup. I clean you up. I, I, you come to my house out of where you are. You come and live with me. You come and get your second chance with me. I'll provide all of that. Just come from where you are, what you've got on, the names you have in your little black book, bring it. Just come. Come. I love you. God did not wait for us, number one, to clean up before he loved us. Number two, God knew, listen, exactly what he was getting into when he said his love on us. Again, the example is Hosea and his wife. Take a look at verse, we're at chapter three. Take a look at chapter one. Now, we skipped over this last time because we wanted to make a point this time. Verse 3 says that in obedience to God, he goes and marries this woman in a red light district, right? So he goes, so he went and took Gomer, and like I said, he could have found a woman with a better name. In our ears, Gomer sounds like I can't help but think of Gomer Pyle, right? Shazam! There he is. So, so he went and married Gomer. Well, Gomer in that language, in that culture, meant something altogether different than what your ears hear. The, the, the name Gomer, get this means satisfaction. So you're, you're going through the, the dark part of the phone book looking for a lady of the night, and there's a lady whose street name is listed as Satisfaction. Do you hear the reason? This is probably not a real name. In fact, in this culture, which is Jewish culture, almost every name has some relation to God in a way to praise God. Like Hosea's name means God saves. Same as Joshua, the same as Jesus. Isaiah's name means a God, the God of salvation. These names all have meanings with regards to God. So why do we have a person here who has no, no meaning with regards to God? Because it's a street name. 
Her street name is Satisfaction because that's what she's selling, you see. And the interesting thing, or I should say an, an additional interesting, interesting thing, is that it goes on to say that she's the daughter of Diblaim. Now, Diblaim is a neuter, neuter name. It's neither, neither male nor female. They, you find it. We have some names in our culture that are neither male nor female, so it's hard to tell whether this is her dad or whether this is her, her mom. But I would say most likely her mom because the, the name simply means uh, two fig cakes. Now, who names her kid that, right? Who names her, their kid that unless this isn't isn't her name, that mom also has a street name. Maybe in the same way of I got a stripper whose name is Nodina Thudpucker, but her, but her stage name, her stage name is uh, Chocolate. Makes sense, doesn't it? If you're anybody going to be a stripper, I would suggest that if your name is Nodina Thudpucker, you need to change your name. It's just not going to work out for you. So Chocolate makes a lot more sense. That's effectively what this lady's name was. So I got a lady named Satisfaction, and her mom is named Twin Fig Cakes, and they live in the red light district. You're probably looking at the story of the history of this family. This, this lady, Gomer, was conceived probably in prostitution. It's all her mom did. And likewise, what did, what did her daughter grow up to be? Nothing other than the same thing her mom was. Same with street names and, and all that. So don't tell me, that, don't tell me that, that Hosea didn't know what he was getting into. It wasn't like he got a farm girl right from Nebraska who was doing fine and made some bad decisions and found herself on the bad side of town, but she's got some redeemable qualities of her. No, she's got nothing. She was born washed up in sin and in debauchery. She was raised in a family like that. And that's who Hosea picks and, mark it carefully, loves her. Likewise, God has chosen us out of a family, listen, historical sinners. All of us came out of a history of sin. Here's our family uh, crest, if you will. There is no one righteous, not in my family, not in your family, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks for God. Oh, we sought for God. No, you didn't. God, through his sovereign grace, extended and drew you. But Jesus, like somebody said, I found Jesus. No, you didn't. He wasn't lost. You were lost. He found you. All have turned away. Notice, categorical. They have together become worthless. This is a woman on an auction block. Start naked. It's where you came from. It's where I came from. There is no one who does good, not even one. God knew exactly what he was getting when he set his love on us. And the third thing, he knew exactly what we would do with that love, that we would walk all over him, his, him and his undeserved love. He knew exactly what we would do. God wasn't shocked that you went off into sin, I would suggest to you. Hosea wasn't, why should he be shocked? Look, look at what it says in verse 2, we're in chapter 1. When the Lord spoke to Hosea, remind us of this, we saw it last time. The Lord said to Hosea, go and take to yourself a wife of harlotry. She's already a prostitute, not a chance. She's, oh, she could be a 50-50 chance. No, she already is. In fact, she came from that life culture. A wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry. In other words, you're not going to know which kid is yours. He's already told them from the front, this is going to be your life. So, so understand, Hosea understood that he was going to get walked all over by this lady from the beginning. 
He knew what he was getting into. He knew what she was going to do with his undeserved love in the same way that God has knew exactly what he was getting into when he, got in, when he got into it with us. He wasn't shocked at the stuff that we've done or the things that we're yet to do. He's not shocked at that stuff. So, so with that in mind, I want us to hear a passage of Scripture that in many cases I think we read, and it should be 29 through 30, because 828 is the works all things together for good. But anyway, you can read that verse, but I want us to read this one. A lot of times we read this just like we do the entire Bible from the rose-colored glasses of culture, the rose-colored glasses of what our mama or our pastor or someone we trust taught, and we have a hard time hearing actually what the Bible is saying. How do we, we let the Bible say what it says. How can we do that? Only by knowing everything that it says. So go home and read it all through tonight and then read it again the next day and read it through the next day. Because man, do we need to know what it says. For those God foreknew, right, he also predestined. Now, we read this from the rose-colored glasses of I'm awesome, and everybody thinks I'm awesome, and I get a ribbon for being in last place. Those he foreknew, right? He foreknew how awesome I was going to be. Of course he chose me. Who wouldn't choose me? On the baseball team of heaven, of course, because I'm good, basically. Better than most. Pastor of a church. Of course, his foreknowledge made him predestine me because I was already halfway to Jesus anyway, wasn't I? Amen, everybody? See, that's the way we think. No, he foreknew you on an auction block, naked, debauched, worthless, unforgivable, unredeemable, unlovable. That is what the you that he foreknew. New. In the same way that, that Hosea goes down and finds uh, the daughter of chocolate and marries her daughter satisfaction and expects anything other than her to be a prostitute. Oh no, he knew what he was doing. He foreknew what was going to happen to be sure. God told him. Predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. No, this is not totally the opposite direction of what God foreknew. It's not like he foreknew how evil we'd be, so everything else should say we're going to hell. Not what it says. It says we're headed to heaven. Those he foreknew, he, he, he predestined, he planned to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And all this based upon complete foreknowledge of every bad thing that we would be. No good. There's no good in us. There's no good. If there was good in us, then tell me why did Jesus die? Because it's redeemable, right? That's just, they just need the right education. They just need the right motivation. They just need the right opportunity. And they will pull themselves up because there is good within them. There is not. That's why Jesus came. And that is why he died for us. He found us as slaves. And he says that very thing here in Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Any slaves here? Any slaves, you need to know that you are. You need to know. I'm a slave of sin. I'm, I'm enslaved to it. I have no way of getting out of it. And, and it's not a matter of eternity. Listen, eternity is going to be an eternity of slaves. Hell's going to be full of slaves. Here's what you need to know. Heaven is going to be full of slaves. That may weird you out. Hang on with me. Stay weirded out. It'll keep you awake for five more minutes. How can you be so sure, you see, it, it, Hosea is buying back a slave, so, so, so he spends 15 shekels, which by the way isn't much, but what is he getting for it? 
He's getting the same old girl he had before with the same old sin culture and the same old sin life. So how can he be sure that she doesn't go off into debauchery just like she did before? Why waste even 15 shekels? Why waste it? Because you need to know something has changed in the relationship between Hosea and Gomer. Things were not as they are, were before. They're not. See, before when they got married, married is, marriage is a covenant, right? Of mutual agreement. It's, it's bilateral. You choose and I choose. We opt in, and I guess in, in some ways we can also opt out. That's exactly what she did. She opted out. Now, he had never opted out. He had always loved her. He would always stayed faithful to her. But she had opted out of it. But now, listen, when he buys her, it's not bilateral. It's unilateral. He pays the price. So, so for instance, my wife who isn't here, my wife could say, and I can say of her, by choice, we are each other. She is mine, and I am hers. But it is a choice, and it's a mutual choice. When he buys her, there is only one side to the choice forever. Forever, she is his, whether she likes it or not. Because why? She sold herself, he bought her. She sold herself, and he bought her. You say, how horrible. I mean, slavery is always wrong and always evil, and I would agree 99.9% .9 of the time, except in this case. See, she, she's now stuck with the one, get this, who has been faithful to her, who has raised her kids, even some of them aren't his, who has stuck with her. She's been faithful to one who would find her naked on an auction block and still buy her back with all the shame that goes with it. Can you imagine how it increased his preaching ability? Knowing that he's picked that woman, why didn't he kill her? Why didn't he divorce her? All his reputation going straight down the toilet just so he could have her. He, he's doing all these things. How horrible it is we would think that she would be a slave. And I would say, I think she's doing pretty good. Because here's what you need to know. She was going to be a slave either way. Isn't that right? Doesn't he find her on an auction block? So it wasn't like either he buys her and she becomes his slave, or he doesn't buy her, and she goes free. No, the whole thing of freedom is over. She's been running free for a long time. Now, it is either slave to him, or slave to who knows what. That's the way it is. By the way, that's the way it was with her. That is the way it is with you. You get, you get, you get all put out of shape because the Bible says that you're a slave to God. You need to be real glad that you are because there's no options out of slavery. Eternity is a slavery. Hell is going to be a slavery. So I'm, as long as I'm not a slave to God, I don't care if I go to hell. Well, you know, you can have it that way if you'd like. I'm not going to go with you on that, though. Cannot be undone. When God unilaterally chose us through Christ, listen, it was a choice that cannot be undone. There's no opting out of it. We're his it's redemption. He bought us. He took us home. We belong to him. It is a permanent thing. He cared for us, stayed faithful to us, and when sin had debauched us and washed us out, he bought us back. But now it's not just a marriage anymore. Now it's a possession of his. And we need it to be that way. See, if we can opt out, guess what? That's what we'll do. We're in a relationship now that we cannot opt out out of and he became God became a man so that so he could buy us back with his own life and when he sold himself when he bought us right he sold himself for what price do you remember 
30 pieces, right? Half the price or twice the price of Gomer because the 30 pieces was the same price as, as, a, as a female slave. So why was Jesus sold for the price of a female slave? Because he was taking the place of a wife of the female slave who was to be sold, the church. Saved, saved us. Laid his life down for us. We were getting auctioned off because of our sin, and he bought us for himself, and we are free, but only to be his. So, so let's talk. We have, we have three whole minutes. Let's talk about this whole issue of why, why, why pay such a dear price. Let, let, me, let me ask you this. So, so if sin is a debt and a debt has to be paid, why not just say, you know what? Let bygones be bygones. Let's just let it go. I forgive you. Move on. Why, why did there have to be such a steep price paid to buy us for himself? If God's in control of everything, and he is, then why not just change the price? Because, because, because we have a bad concept of how debt is paid and how things work. Let's, let's, let's shift gears here and let's get it on real terms, uh, a way we understand it. Let's say I'm driving through town and I'm driving recklessly. And I drive up into your yard and I tear down about $1,000 of your fence in the front of your yard. Now, I'm your pastor, right? You love me. Everybody do like this. We love you, Pastor Bill. So because you love me and I'm your pastor, you're going to forgive me the debt, which I'm, a, I'm taking that down right now. I'm looking, seeing all your faces. I've got it now. But so, so because you're good, you're nice to me, you love me, and it was my mistake. I should have been paying attention. I drove in your yard, knocked down a fence, $1,000 worth of damage. But because now you forgive me, there's now a system. Now money falls out of the sky and pays for your fence, right? Isn't that how it works? So even though there's a debt incurred and you forgive me of that debt, the money doesn't come to you out of the sky. Where you got to get the money from? Your pocket. It's got to come from your insurance. It's got to come from something. But there is nothing free when a debt is incurred. The only way the debt can be canceled is for money to hit the table. Isn't that right? And so, so, so understand when God forgives us, there's a price that has to be paid. We had a huge bailout here in the United States. I know some of you may not be old enough or may not realize what happened. In 2008, we had this massive crisis. And our banks went belly up, a bunch of them, like big banks. And our United States government, our, the people that we put in these places, said that the banks are too big to fold. And so they instead propped them up. The, 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 the government literally paid the debt, forgave the debt of, of, of these huge banks and these huge financial lending corporations, 100% loan to value for a $4 million house that was only worth $300,000 in one year, your belly up on, I mean, upside down in your mortgage, all that kind of stuff going on all the time. They, they listen, they bailed out the banks of America for a tight price of $17 billion. So, so, so when they forgave the debt, that $17 billion just fell out of the sky, right? It just fell because that's what, when you forgive somebody, that's what happens, right? Just the payment comes out of the sky. No, no, they paid. So if they forgave the banks, that means the banks didn't have to pay for it. That means the bank payment, the responsibility, the debt was passed to someone else. And so who was that? Take your, take your finger like this and then point it at yourself. You paid for it. You paid the 17 billion. What is the United States government? We're the United States government. We put them up there. It's our money that they're spending, right? So hopefully you're voting for people that are spending it the way that you want them to. And if you don't want them to spend it that way, then get rid of them. But they work for us. 
They're acting on our behalf, and they bailed them out. In fact, actually, you did. Because there is absolutely no debt forgiveness apart from someone else carrying the debt load. Here's what you need to understand. Forgiveness biblically is simply this. It means if I forgive you, that means I am willing to accept payment for a sin that you committed. Paying for someone else's sin, guys, listen, that is forgiveness. Nothing less. When God forgives you, he's not just from the sky falling down, let's just cancel out all the laws and you're going to be fine and it was no big deal and I wasn't that mad anyway. No, no, no. When he says I'm canceling your death, that means he's saying I'm paying. I, I eat the debt. That's what he did. God ate it. It cost him free to us, but he ate the cost of our sin. That's why the cross what it was what it was. That's why it had to happen. Because there is no debt forgiveness unless there is debt repayment, to be sure. I want to ask you please to close your eyes, bow your heads as we come to a conclusion this morning and think about the things that God has said to us, the great debt that God has paid for us, the things that the Bible has to say about us. God found us naked, depraved, debauched, destroyed because of our own decisions. A total wreck, unforgivable, unlovable. He found us there, and yet here we sit in forgiveness and love, redeemed. He found the reason to do all those things within himself because of his great love toward us, his commitment to sinners. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. We didn't find him, he found us. He rescued us, we were We were on an auction block to be auctioned off, slaves to sin. And so he bought us so that we could be slaves to him who has been so faithful and good to us. What a great eternity it's going to be to be forever bound to the one who has been nothing but good to us. Nothing but faithful, nothing but right. Nothing but paying our debts. God, we are so indebted to you in so many ways, and I thank you, God. You're not sitting there saying, I need you to pay, us, pay me back. You're not saying that. That's not what you say. You just say, I, I want you to be mine. So I pray today, God, that the result of the things we hear, we would let you have what you want. You've wanted us even though we don't understand why. You forgave us even though we can't see how. You wanted us just to be yourself, for yourself. So, God, we want to give ourselves to you today. God, we want to lay ourselves down to you. We want to say absolutely yes to everything you're asking us to do. We want you to be glorified in our lives. We don't want to compromise. We don't want to um, take for granted the great price you've paid for us, the debt you've absorbed and paid yourself on our behalf. Lord, instead, we want you to be glorified through us. Thank you, God, for hearing us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.